This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Trashy Divorces, coming to you from TDHQ2. My name is Stacy. Hey, y'all, I'm Alicia. Thanks so much for joining us this week. We are so happy to have you here. Settle on in. we got some good stories for you today with women who don't let anybody <laughs> rain on their parade. Not for long, anyway. Nope. What a song from Funny Girl. It's one of my secret anthems. If I ever need a little internal courage buildup, I will sing Don't Rain on My Parade in my head. We'll pick you up. Uh, every time. Every time. I march my band out. Our <laughs> profiles this week do have that kind of courage mood in spades. Stacy, this week you're bringing us the story of... I have Glennon Doyle, who, uh, as I was researching Rachel Hollis a couple of weeks ago, I kept being struck by all of the parallels in their stories, but also the kind of different ways that they've embraced the changes in their lives. And I, I thought they were an interesting contrast. It's a really well done story. Thank you. And you have just a legend, superstar of the world, a legend, a phenom, the goddess of the goddess of the pipes, Barbara Streisand. Mm-hmm. People forget she had an early marriage in the 1960s to fellow actor Elliot Gould. And we get into that this week. Before we get started with our episode, let's do a magic mirror shout out for new Patreon people, as well as give a hot minute to what's happening over on Patreon. Y'all don't forget, we have that new bit.ly link. Bit.ly slash trash candy, which takes you to free material that we've pulled from the paywall. That's it. We love to give you a little bit more for free. We did add two episodes this week. One on kind of the gay rights movement in this country over time. Yeah, you covered the Stonewall riot. Good Pride Month inclusion. Yeah, good Pride Month inclusion, as well as a little attached bit that has to do with Pat Conroy and Jimmy Buffett, but Barbara Streisand too. It's a little bit of a spider web. All of those are available for you for free. We also are dropping new content over there every week. We're continuing our May and Monaco series, which is now... (laughs) <laughs> Fun in the French Riviera sure. in June. Spiderwebs, Nightcap Chat, all of that stuff. Go either way to bit.ly slash trashcandy or patreon.com slash trashy divorces. That's it. Okay. Let's give a big shout out. Yes. We've got this magic mirror. Found it somewhere in all the boxes that we're unpacking. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us at Patreon. In Bay, Winston M, Taylor P, Diane M, Ingrid F. Elizabeth A, Valerie S, Lauren Z, and Maggie O. Y'all are the very best. Thanks for joining us over there and supporting our little trashy podcast. (laughs) Thanks to all of y'all for coming back and listening Mm -hmm. to this week. Hope you enjoy. We appreciate you so much. Settle on in. What are we going to do? We're going to take out our umbrellas. Nobody's (laughs) raining on this parade. And we're going to go, go, go. Stacy, this week you got a slightly different slant based on the Rachel Hollis story. I wouldn't say based on, but when I was writing the Rachel Hollis story, I was reminded of a, a really parallel story that also has interesting differences. So, um, yeah, so I have another self-help author guru. Tell me more. <laughs> okay. 
All right, so a couple of weeks ago, I covered Rachel Hollis, who's out of the blue divorce in 2020 and intemperate online outbursts in 2021, have blown a hole in the wholesome, helpful, you-can-do-it-too image that she has spent years cultivating. So this week, I want to talk about another influencer and author whose marriage also blew up at a spectacularly terrible moment in her career, and whose subsequent life direction definitely imperiled the maintenance of the audience she had spent years cultivating. Talking about Glennon Doyle. Love it. She's amazing. Yep. Her latest book, 2020's Untamed, is a number one New York Times bestselling memoir. That is not the book, however, that put her squarely in the middle of a career and life crisis. That book, the jumping off point between her old life and the life she chose to embrace instead of run from, was called Love Warrior, and it documented in painstaking detail the long road she and husband Craig Melton had travailed in rebuilding their marriage after he disclosed infidelity. The plot twist is that as this book, which had been selected as an Oprah's book club inclusion for 2016, was heading to press, Glennon met the love of her life and promptly ended her marriage for good, even knowing that it could kill her book's chance of success and derail absolutely everything she had worked for for years parallels. Let's get into this, which, to be fair, is sort of Glennon Doyle's thing as a writer and speaker. Glennon was born March 20, 1976, which makes her a Pisces, but more specifically, the Pisces-Aries cusp, known as the cusp of rebirth. Everyone say, hmm, with Alicia. It's so good. I have a cusp or two in my story. Great. She was born in Northern Virginia. She was raised in a close-knit Catholic family. There were siblings, two loving parents, an intact marriage. At age 10, having been tagged as a beautiful child and wrestling with a conflict she couldn't possibly have understood between being herself and being a, quote, good girl, she developed bulimia, which would be a coping mechanism for pain and internal conflict management for, like, the next decade and a half of her yeah. life. Yeah. This would land her in a psychiatric hospital for a bit of her senior year of high school, a place where she first experienced an ethos of not pretending to be okay. It was liberating, but... <laughs> it certainly is. But come on, who at 17 or whatever can get away with not pretending amongst the throngs of other 17-year-olds and amidst the looming transition of college and early adulthood? There's just no way. Fair point. So this stint perhaps gave her some puzzle pieces to an as-yet-incomplete picture, but it did not solve her internal conflicts. Later, a little bit older, she discovered alcohol. And after graduating from college and going to work as a third-grade teacher in Virginia, her drinking expanded into a daily blackout-drunk thing. Not oh, good. no. She was still living with bulimia, too. There were also drugs. When she was about 25, she bumped into an old high school classmate, Craig Melton, He'd been a star soccer player and was model handsome, so one thing led to another. And just four months into the relationship that neither one of them considered particularly serious, she found herself needing an abortion, which she had. This led to further spiraling, including several arrests. Her father, years later, would tell a journalist at one of her book events, honestly, we're just happy she's not in jail. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. <laughs> you must be so proud of her yeah, <laughs> for not being in prison right now. And yet, on Mother's Day in 2002, deep in the mire of all of these addictions, all of these just, you know, unhealthy coping mechanisms, she discovered she was pregnant again. Wow. Yeah, this is how she wrote about this moment in 2016's Love Warrior. 
I am a drunk. I am a bulimic. I cannot love a child because all I do is hurt the people I love. Mm. I cannot teach someone else how to live because I am only half alive. There is no one on earth, including me, who'd consider me worthy of motherhood. Mm. And yet, as I stare at the little blue cross, it is impossible for me to deny. I decide to believe in a God who believes in a girl like me. Wow. I love that. I'm all. I'm all. Oh, Glennon. Okay. So if you haven't read any Glennon Doyle books or interviews or listened to any of her billion appearances on podcasts or Oprah or, (laughs) you know, this is very typical of her style. She started attending meetings that day to get sober. In Untamed, she talks about how excruciating that early period of sobriety was and how a fellow teacher at school had a sign on her classroom wall that read, we can do hard things. This became a sort of mantra to her and is now the name of her podcast. <laughs> it's really good. Top I'm of the really charts. Enjoying it. Top yeah. of the charts podcast. She and Craig married, and very quickly there were three children, a son and two daughters. She applied the template of family and normalcy that she had been raised in, staying home with the kids, going to church on Sundays. But she found that being an at-home mom made it hard to get to meetings. So, you know, again, this is where she had rediscovered this same ethos from the mental hospital of, you don't have to pretend to be okay. Right. And you have worth. Like, so, you know, cut off from that space, she began her writing career (laughs) in the form of emailing essays to her friends. Really? Uh Uh-huh. So also there was this quiz on Facebook. She talks about this quite a bit where her friends were answering, like one of those listicles, like, 25 things about yourself or whatever. So in a, an interview with Best Self Magazine in 2017 with writer Kristen Noel, she said, there was this thing on Facebook. People were just listing things about themselves. I thought, oh, I could do that. Easy. <laughs> so I sat down and pounded out a list that was like my truthiest truth. I was talking about alcoholism and bulimia and all of it. Anyway, it turned out everyone else was doing it on a little bit lighter scale. I remember my number six was, I'm a recovering food and alcohol addict but I still find myself missing booze in the same twisted way we can miss those who repeatedly beat us and leave us for dead. Mm. This is true, she continues, but my friend Lisa's number six was, my favorite snack food is hummus. (laughs) It's terrible. (laughs) However, this weird, expansive take on a Facebook nothingness prompted some things. She started getting messages and emails from friends, some even close friends, who started sharing the kinds of things that happily married middle-class women don't openly talk about. Their own addictions, family members, you know, who are struggling, unhealthy coping mechanisms, marital problems, money problems. Glennon began speaking at church and started to find ways to bring that safe space from meetings into the other parts of her life and just creating that safe space for herself. And then one friend who was perhaps slightly exhausted with these essays that Glennon was emailing around about the hard stuff while they were all sitting in their cubicles on any ordinary Tuesday, <laughs> sent her a tutorial about how to set up a blog. The website Momastery. Please do anything yes. besides bug us. We all have a meeting at 2 p.m. I promise I will visit your new website. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So Momastery and Glennon Doyle, celebrated Christian mommy blogger, was born. This was in 2009, so her oldest was maybe six or seven. Like, she had little kids at this point. She would get up while it was still dark, and she would creep into a closet in their home and write for an hour or two before the kids' day began. 
Being queer, agnostic, and child-free, I will admit that Momastery was not high on my radar at the turn of the last decade, but even I can recall Momastery posts shared by friends as I scrolled Facebook, you know, way back when. She was writing out a journal of authenticity about parenthood and marriage and life in this transitional era, and eventually she was racking up huge, huge traffic. A lot of her posts went, like, massively viral. So book publishers certainly took notice. Like, oh, you're creating content? Great. We love content. Come create content for me. So in 2013, she published Carry On Warrior, which expanded on the themes she was developing at Momastery and became a New York Times bestseller. Slight problem. As the book was heading toward publication and she was preparing for a tour to promote it, she and Craig were in therapy. And he finally confessed that he had been having one-night stands throughout the marriage. Oh, how many years have they been married by this point? Oh, gosh. Oh, two, ten or eleven years, probably. Okay, enough. Mm, enough, yeah. Yeah, wow, that's, that's Yeah, with, with three kids, yeah. So at this incredible moment in her career, what should have truly been a mountaintop experience, her world collapsed. She and Craig separated, temporarily it would turn out, and then gradually began the process of rebuilding their marriage. She would later document this in incredible detail in 2016's Love Warrior. And like a lot of the reviews about this said, like, if you've ever wondered what it's like to be in someone else's marriage, this is the book for you. Like, this is as close as you're ever going to get. No, so. she's authentic. She's 100% real. And well, and to his credit, Craig agreed to allow her, you know, I mean, there's certainly plenty of stuff that he might not want to necessarily be public that he was like, okay, Glenn, <laughs> you need to write it out, write it out. She's a truth teller and you're just not going to rain on her parade. Mm hmm. So again, this was Oprah's book club selection, and it was certainly teed up as a blockbuster in the making. The expectations were incredible. Editorial was done. She flew to Chicago for a pre-launch event with, I think it was a librarian's, like the library buyers of America or whatever, something like that, where a bunch of memoir authors were previewing their forthcoming books for a really big book buying audience. I will let Glennon explain what happened next as related story. at the Riveter website. She tells it a million different places. It's all fundamentally the same. She says, I was in Chicago about to launch my book, Love Warrior, about my first marriage recovering from infidelity. The tagline of the book was, quote, an epic marriage redemption story. Oh, God. It just the potential to be so trashy and the story just isn't. Whew. And I was sitting around a table with a bunch of other writers who are all also launching books because it was this big event for a bunch of writers who were putting out memoirs that fall. And then there was this weird moment. All of us talking at the table stopped and everyone looked at the door. So I looked over at the door, and there was this human standing in the doorway, and she was like 12,000 feet tall, and she was wearing this dark gray trench coat and this red blood scarf, and she had this platinum crazy hair shaved on the side, and she was like a guy and a girl, and like beyond and in between. Like, I know I've never seen anything like this. And it wasn't just me. All of the writers were just staring at her. Because it was like the Mockingjay had arrived at our nerdy book party. Wow. We were just like, this person is too cool to be in the room with us. <laughs> but everyone else handled their shit a little bit better than I did. This is what happened next, she continues, which has become family folklore because there's no awkward situation that I cannot make more <laughs> awkward. It's my spiritual power. So if you can imagine like this big table with all these writers 
And then it was the weirdest moment of my life. Just everything in me was like, there she is. Like just an absolute and total recognizing, even though I've never seen her before, but it was not a meeting. It was a recognizing. And then suddenly I come to consciousness and I'm standing up like this at the table with my arms thrown open (laughs) toward the door. (laughs) Okay, so the 12,000 foot tall human who stepped into the room was U.S. women's soccer star and two-time Olympic gold medalist, if we're reviewing the resumes, Abby Wambach. (laughs) And both of them sort of describe this instant knowingness about the other, this instant connection. Abby was going through her own life upheaval at the time. She had retired from pro soccer at the end of 2015 to much fanfare and celebration, but just a few months later, she was arrested for DUI in Portland, Oregon, where she was living with her then-wife. I think a DUI serves as a wake-up call for a lot of people, and Abby was no different. She pleaded guilty to the charges, accepted responsibility and apologized, and began her own path to sobriety after years of over-reliance on alcohol and prescription drugs. Part of this process involved separation from her then-wife, fellow soccer player, and former teammate Sarah Huffman, whom she had married in 2013. Abby told the Associated Press in 2016, That night getting arrested was one of the best things that has ever happened to me, because if I don't get so publicly shamed and publicly humiliated, I don't think I wake up. I think I was asleep for a lot of years, asleep to the pleas from my family and friends and even myself to get help. Mm. So that night I was humiliated enough to wake up. I guess, can you imagine a more fortuitous experience than bumping into Glennon Doyle at this specific juncture on your life journey? Anyway, Glennon, though fully stunned by the meeting, I mean, in Untamed, she just goes back to that first moment over and over again. It's a very interesting it Remember? really is a thing when you know you know. I've we've we've had this moment. Yeah. So Glennon was, you know, stunned, but she was also sensitive to the complexity of Abby's life at the moment. So she had her assistant reach out to Abby's assistant to see if they could begin corresponding. They did, and a love story was born. Aww. But again, Slight problem. Complications. Glennon and Craig are still together and Love Warrior is slated for a September release date. Yeah. This is May. Wow. Tick-tock, tick-tock. And everything is suddenly happening at light speed. Glennon Doyle is a truth-teller and a self-explorer, and she knew in the instant that she met Abby that her marriage, regardless of what may come with that, was over. The alternative was to abandon herself. So look at all these off-brand options Glennon had. (laughs) Option one, Christian mommy blogger and love warrior who repaired her marriage after her husband's infidelity, bailing on the marriage for a woman. This is likely not a way that Glennon Doyle would describe the situation, by the way, but it probably is, you know, what people outside could. Option two, professional truth teller and public revelator Glennon Doyle denies to and for herself a deep truth that she has discovered and stays in what now can only be a pretend marriage and lives a lie, perhaps for the rest of her life. Yeah, so she's her, not going to do that. So her book would be successful and her career could continue with minimal fuss. You know what she chose. She explained everything to Craig, who by now had spent years and years in therapy with her. These two had gotten to know each other at a depth that I think most couples probably never get to. Just, I mean, they just had been doing this work for years. No one is thrilled to learn that their marriage is ending, of course, and I'm sure the heroic levels of work that had gone into preserving the Melton marriage made it an even tougher sort of 
pill to swallow. Yeah. But Glennon told him everything, and he responded in about the least trashy way possible. Thanks, Craig. He told her that she had showed him grace when he confessed his infidelity and that he would now do the same. Wow. That's stand-up. Mm-hmm. For sure. She also, after consultations with her team, announced the breakup to the world three weeks before Love Warrior was released. <laughs> Some truth-telling. There was a lot of pressure to hold off on that. After all, how do you release a book about redeeming your marriage when you've left it? Surprise! <laughs> By the time. Yeah. Yeah. Glennon says, you'll love this. Glennon says, my dear friend Liz Gilbert helped me with this because I had shared this story so publicly and because my marriage was such a part of my work. I knew that I owed the truth about that in real time to my people. So I announced our separation three weeks before the release of Love Warrior and everyone was telling me, oh, this is going to ruin the book. Like, how could it not, you know? But it didn't. It didn't. It didn't. Love Warrior was a smash hit that went to number one on the New York Times bestseller list. She elliptically notes in Untamed that not all of her and Craig's interactions around the divorce were as copacetic as that initial conversation. How could they be? But the story that has emerged in the aftermath is a blended beauty of a family. Craig, again, a soccer player, plays on an adult league with Abby. No. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He expressly gave the children permission to love Abby, of which Abby told the New York Times, it's probably the most selfless act of grace or love I've ever experienced. Craig lives nearby in Florida for easy co-parenting. And now that Glennon and Abby are moving to California, because I think Abby's part of the ownership group of the LA women's soccer team. Oh, okay. He's going to move with them. Like he'll live close by, raise his kids, wow. co-parent. Yeah. Glennon and Abby did not announce their relationship right away. But by November 2016, they made it Facebook official. Which, again, I mean, she started out as a Christian mommy blogger. The opportunity for her career to just implode was all over the place, but it didn't. No, nope, it didn't. I mean, it, it grew her career. It's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a remarkable... It's the power of authenticity. It is the power of authenticity. Uh, they were married the following May 2017 after knowing each other for a year. I get it. <laughs> They have a delightful and goofy Instagram presence that has turned them into couples goals for a great many people, and which reaffirms my deeply held notion that the secret to a great marriage is to find your partner in crime, marry them, and then keep criming. That's it. One brief thing to ponder, given Glennon's history of life eruptions that time themselves to her book releases, Untamed, her most recent memoir, dropped on March 10th of 2020. <laughs> <laughs> Bless her heart. Bless her heart. <laughs> Cusp of rebirth, you say. <laughs> yeah. Glennon, maybe just go back to blogging. I like I, I hate to just No, she's so good. Whoa, she is she's great. Listen, by all rights, this should be the trashiest freaking story we've ever covered. Really should. There's addiction, there are eating disorders, there are arrests, there's an unplanned pregnancy, there's infidelity, there's writing what amounts to a tell-all about the infidelity <laughs> and how to get past it. And finally, you have a wife leaving her husband for another woman, and yet it's not trashy. Glennon talks about how shame leads to keeping secrets and it's very clearly the secret keeping that takes a thing that could be revelatory and makes it trashy instead. That's it. So zero trash cans for Glennon and Craig. Nice. Yeah, their sincerity and their sincere work at being what Glennon calls healing partners 
Make what they've been through together honest and even admirable. Thanks for breaking our podcast concept, Glennon. (laughs) We can do hard things. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to finish with something Glennon said about the Technicolor experience of falling in love with Abby and sharing that news with the people in her life and the range of reactions that they had. But I think the sentiment really applies much more broadly. She says, I come from all kinds of backgrounds that would tell me this wasn't right or good or true, but I had already learned not to trust those voices. So it was just another step where I said, okay, world, bless your hearts. (laughs) You go ahead. You do your world thing. You freak out and fret just as much as you need to. And I'm going to keep doing my thing. So when you're ready, just come back. And that is Glennon Doyle. That is the non-trashy, deeply authentic, sincere and heartfelt story of Glennon Doyle. That's my favorite story you've ever told on Trashy Divorces. That was amazing. The two marriages. That was awesome. Of Glennon Doyle. Thank you. You're very welcome. I am touched. I need to go have a bless my heart. little Kleenex moment. Aw. That was really well done. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, like Abby's Instagram is like legit silly. They they are so silly together. uh, And it's lovely to see. What was that? Find your partner in crime? Marry them? Keep criming. Yep. That's it. Yep. Let's take a break. We're going to come back with some more no raining <laughs> on a parade. Yeah. With we, the legend. We've broken the podcast this week. Done. Done and done. <laughs> <laughs> See you on the flip. There's never a wrong time to take a look at the things that are keeping you from living your best life. And if now is your moment, we recommend BetterHelp. BetterHelp is confidential, convenient, and safe professional counseling with your own licensed therapist. BetterHelp's quick questionnaire matches you with a counselor in under 24 hours, and you can message your counselor at any time, even between scheduled phone or video sessions. And if you're not clicking, that's fine. It is free to change counselors. BetterHelp is available worldwide. They offer specialized expertise that may not be available locally where you live. It's more affordable than traditional counseling. Financial aid is available as well. It has just never been easier to find a licensed professional counselor. In fact, there are so many people using BetterHelp that they are recruiting counselors in all 50 states. We want you to start living your happiest life today. As a Trashy Divorces listener, you get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash trashy. Join more than 1 million people who are taking charge of their mental health. Visit betterhelp, that's betterhelp.com slash trashy. Summer reading season is upon us. Have you ever considered how your personal finances would read as a literary genre? Would it be a sweet romance with a happy ending? Or a thriller you could only read during the day? The clever ladies at the Oak Tree Group want to help you write your most compelling financial story. These three holistic planners have 77 years of combined experience helping people navigate all kinds of financial plot twists and turns. They can help you with a wide breadth of financial strategies. Check out their website, www.theoaktreegroup.net, and see the experience and areas of expertise these women bring to the people they serve. The Oak Tree Group is offering our listeners a free one-hour consultation on your financial script. See their website, www.theoaktreegroup.net, for additional contact details. Alicia, I have nothing to add in terms of introing. Who you have, the floor is yours. How do you intro Barbara Streisand? Not a clue. Right? If trashy can be defined around here, (laughs) 
As living your best life and letting no one rain on your parade, Barbara Streisand is the epitome of trashy. Some people forget, as she's been married to actor James Brolin since 1998, that Barbara was part of one of the it couples of the 1960s. She was married for eight years to fellow actor Elliot Gould. It was quite a pairing, until it wasn't. <laughs> Elliot Gould has been a, God, a working actor for six decades, as long as Barbara has. The younger trash pandas among us will probably know Elliot Gould from the Ocean's Eleven franchise or the dad of Ross and Monica Geller on Friends. He was <laughs> Mr. Geller. Forgot about that. But before that, whoa, he was doing a lot of key roles that mattered that mattered to our culture, not only on film, but also on television. MASH, Bob Carroll, Ted and Alice, The Long Goodbye. He's a long and impressive list. Go check out Elliot Gould's IMDb. That is not what we're here for today. The other half of this couple, Barbara, talented in ways that no one has ever seen before. She's done it all. Music, movies, books, production. She has what is called an EGOT. It's kind of like the greatest of all time, but for right. awards, she has an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony. Sure. What can't Barbara do? I don't know. Has she acquired any Olympic gold medals? Probably. <laughs> we just, like, they're on her IMDb. Check it out. The thing with Barbara Streisand, tell her she can't do it, and she'll do it twice and let you take pictures. Gotcha. She will also famously say, don't stop hating me. I need the confidence. Oh, my God. <laughs> Where does that come from? That's so, diva quality right there. Uh, both people in this couple, when it happened in the 60s, young, incredibly talented, and rising fast through the decade. Let's get to the trash candy. Today, I'm going to start with our groom. Elliot Goldstein is born in Brooklyn, August 29th, 1938. He is the only child of non-Orthodox working class Jewish parents. Bernard and Lucille. Isn't that the greatest name for parents, Bernard yeah. and Lucille? Yep. Bernard and Lucille do not have a great marriage. They are together for their son. They have a lot of ambition for Elliot. They will end up divorcing after a 27-year marriage, hmm. but they're sticking together for the kid. Now, Elliot, kind of a shy kid. He's kind of afraid all the time. He loves radio dramas and stories, too. He likes to read uh, Sherlock Holmes, Pinocchio. But he has a difficult time expressing himself. He will say one of his earliest memories comes from the age of two years old. And he's told by one of his parents, you don't know how to feel, you don't know how to think, and we'll tell you. Wow. He will say, I didn't know there was a difference between thinking and feeling. Now I realize because I've been able to understand myself and having been afraid for so long, I didn't want them to think I was stupid. That's a lot. That's a lot for a kid. No, there's a mago on both sides of the story. He will also credit his parents, though, for his success. Elliot will say my mother never gave up. I had no choice. I had to be this way. <laughs> Go Lucille. <laughs> well, Lucille and Bernard are going to work really hard to put Elliot into professional children's school. Professional Children's School is a thing. This is kind of neat. Professional Children's School was founded in 1914 in New York City to provide an education to working or aspiring child actors. Grades 6 through 12, they average about 200 kids. This gets him 
a little bit of respect. He's got a handy chance to do a lot of roles too. Like the alumnus of the professional children's school is long and impressive. Has this school gone on to be the fame school? No. But it's sim- similar school. concept. Mm-hmm. Okay. Professional children's school is where you'd go to find child extras. Like these are kids that are already in the business. They okay. already know stage left, stage right. But they're getting their education while they are working child actors. It started out of vaudeville. Mm. Because like you need. A, sure, sure. That's great that your kids are in the act with you. But like we need to teach them how to read. Sure. <laughs> Fair. Okay. I guess this is a good move on. Bernard and Lucille's part here, because performing is going to bring Elliot out of his shy and fearful shell. Yep. Elliot's going to have a dance teacher who he will credit for getting through to him. So at the age of 12, this dance teacher will not Elliot cry. Will not let Elliot cry? Mm -mm. There's no baby coddling and it works like stand up and cry. You're not allowed to. We're not doing this here. And it works. Because by 1957, at the age of 19, Elliot is making his Broadway debut at the Alvin Theater in Rumpel. Wow. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of characters in our Trashy Divorces cast of characters, the theater is the place where Elliot feels like he belongs. So 1961, big things happening. Elliot is cast in the leading male role for I can get it for you wholesale. Things are about to be happening. Going to Broadway. They're going to tour around the country first, but going to Broadway. So our Trashy Divorces Depot right now is a Broadway audition room where I'm going to leave Elliot Gould for now. He's 24. He's about to be on Broadway. Kind of a big deal. Let's meet our bride. (laughs) Barbara Jones Streisand is born in Brooklyn as well. They grow up next to each other. But never know each other. Sure. (laughs) Lots of people live in Brooklyn. (laughs) Barbara's born April 24th, 1942, within the last day of the cusp of power, that Aries Taurus, April 20th to April 24th cusp. Barbara's dad is a high school teacher who meets her mother when mom becomes the secretary of that same high school. But see, mom's original ambitions before meeting and getting married and having kids was to become a singer. Mom does not become a singer. She takes a straight job, so to speak. And things are great for the briefest of time. They get married. They have a son. They have Barbara. And dad, the summer Barbara is one. Dad is going to take a summer job in the Catskills on that break from school. The whole family is going to go to the Catskills for the summer. Sounds great, right? Mm -hmm. Until dad dies suddenly of an epileptic seizure at the age of 35. Oh, my God. In the summer of 1943. How tragic. Barbara's a year and a half old. God. Not even. This is going to spend Barbara and her older brother and her mom pretty much into poverty. Times are hard for the struggling family. Mom is working to just feed the children. There's not a lot of time for affection or nurturing or love. Times are tough. Bring this up. There's a great article I found from, what is it? check our resources on TrashyDivorces.com. I pulled from a lot of different places for this, but I found this so poignant. Barbara will say, growing up, we never had a couch until I was eight years old. We only lived with a dining room and an old radio. Hmm. My grandfather and grandmother, after my father died, we had to move in with them. 
I guess the dining room became their bedroom and the other bedroom was for me, my mom and my brother. Wow. So tough times. Mm -hmm. And Barbara's mother, unlike Elliot's parents, does not encourage (laughs) the child's talent. And holy cat, she's talented. She sings as soon as she can open her mouth. She's always singing. She's known as the girl on the block with a good voice. She'll go into hallways and practice hearing herself sing. Like from, she's four years old. Right. I'm going to sing in this hallway so I can hear the echo. Right, get the acoustics, mm-hmm. yeah. One faded day, Barbara will perform at a PTA assembly at her local PS, whatever mm-hmm. number sure. it is. Everyone in the whole damn place is floored by this tiny kid with this big voice. They hear her potential except for Mama. <laughs> Mama doesn't encourage any of this. Wow. And she's going to tell Barbara, life is hard. You're never going to be successful being a singer. You need to get a real gig, get a straight job and take care of yourself, kid. That's the way to succeed at the world. So she actually discourages. It's not just that she doesn't tend to this talent, but she actively discourages. mm -hmm. This is not the path for you. This is not. You need to grow up and be a teacher. (laughs) And Barbara's like, I'm getting the hell out of Brooklyn. Watch me go. Don't rain on my parade. Wow. So mom is going to remarry in 1950, conveniently, when she's nine months pregnant. Life comes at you fast, Alicia. (laughs) (laughs) So now there's a new stepdad and a baby sister in the mix. And Barbara's going to sleep on a pull-out sofa in their living room and continue to get her dreams of getting out of Brooklyn crushed. Her mother makes her stop ballet lessons because mom is afraid Barbara's going to break her legs. Dancing, for some reason. Oh, also the new stepdad will scorn Barbara at every opportunity that he has for himself to do so. Healthy blended family dynamics, clearly. Barbara's going to sing at weddings. She's going to sing at summer camp. She'll have an audition for MGM at the age of nine. Wow. That doesn't go anywhere. Wow. I mean, I'm surprised her mom didn't see potential dollar signs at the very least. But here, here's the, here's the thing. Barbara will hear from early, early and often. She will hear great voice but not the look we're going for. Breaking that down a little further. Yeah, what is that code for, Alicia? uh, Barbara Streisand is Jewish. Mm -hmm. And in Yiddish, I learned a new Yiddish word this week. It is, I love Yiddish words. They're amazing. People will call her a miskite. It means ugly one. God. She is skinny. She is loud. She is stubborn. She is teased. Kids around the neighborhood call her Big Beak because of her nose. Oh my God. Mm Mm-hmm. So all she hears over and over and over is, you are so talented, but you don't have the right look. It's what she hears for a long, long time. Don't rain on her parade. Sounds like that's the most charitable interpretation of what she was hearing, too. That's terrible. Miskite. She's called the ugly one. Now, for y'all who are familiar with Yiddish, I've seen another way that this is an ugly person, but with charm, like an endearing ugly person, but I can't find that verified. Miskite. I love learning new Yiddish words. Mm -hmm. Barbara's still going to work. Mom eventually is going to come around a little bit by the time Barbara's 13 or so. This is 1955. And the marriage with stepfather, hubby number two for mom, has gone south. They've separated. 
but the guy was such a charmer. <laughs> yeah, right. Mom will help Barbara make a four-track demo tape, but Mom does two songs and lets Barbara do two songs. Her schooling continues. She's singing in the choir in her high school. Oh, Barbara Streisand is classmates with Neil Diamond hmm. in high school. Also, friends and classmates with Bobby Fischer, world chess champion. Okay. Such a tiny spiderweb kind of world. Barbara's going to lie about her age, which gets her a gig at a summer stock apprentice thing in 1957. She's going to do everything to make that dream happen. She's hostessing at the local Chinese restaurant. Barbara Streisand graduates high school at the age of 16 in 1959 with a 93 average. Also holding down a job, working on stage, wow. singing clubs, 93 average. Like she's yeah. the kid who has every minute of her Rolodex planned and nothing is getting in mm -hmm. her way. She helicopter parented herself. She helicopter. <laughs> yes, she did. She now is going to take a new job as a switchboard operator because she still wants to save money, but she's doing every part, every walk on every club performance. Like she never stops. And soon enough, she's out of mom's house, moves in with a girlfriend, rents a railroad car with another girl. Not It's a railroad apartment. It's not a railroad car. Okay. I was but like, what? This, I guess they call this in New York City. It's an apartment where the bathtub is in the kitchen. It's a railroad apartment. Okay. It's tiny. <laughs> and the bathtub is in the kitchen. So you're saying the affordable housing crisis has been longstanding. <laughs> Nothing new under the sun. So Barbara Streisand will start her love of collecting antiques here. She will say in this interview, she's asked this question. You got into furniture when you were very young. I know you were trying to buy furniture when you had a walk-up apartment. Antique furniture, how did you develop your eye? She says, I just went to antique shops, you know. I walked around 2nd Avenue and University Place and 9th Avenue, 8th Avenue. It's funny. I was on a bill at the Bon Soir with Renee Taylor, who had an antique shop on 8th Avenue. I remember I bought an antique captain's desk made of burled walnut. I bought a dentist cabinet that I used to keep upstairs in my apartment. This is the kid who grew up with nothing. I kind of get it. If you want to collect, you're going to do it as soon as, like from a young age, as soon as you have the financial means to find pieces. I understand this, Barbara. I'm the same way. <laughs> Okay, so we're almost close to getting these two together. So the Bonsoir that I mentioned is where Barbara Streisand will open for Phyllis Diller in the winter of 1960. Every action Barbara takes will lead to the next thing. The timelines are all there. Like everything she does leads to the next thing, which it is nonstop work, both to financially support herself with a real, with a, with a, with a straight gig as well as developing right. her love for what she wants to do. It's beyond singing now. She saw Diary of Anne Frank when she was like 14, and now she wants to be an actress. Acting is more of a thing than singing for her, but she's on it. She gets on TV. She's at the Bonsoir. She's appearing at the Blue Angel too. She's working her tail off, but nothing is quite breaking through. There's no overnight sensation Per se, she's been at this a lot of years, but she's doing the work. That's what I need you to know. Let's get us to November 29th, 1961, when Barbara Streisand 
will audition for a part in Broadway's upcoming play, I Can Get It For You Wholesale. Wow, where have I heard of that? Where the newly cast leading man, Elliot Gould, is watching the final auditions. And here our trains meet up in the Trashy Divorces Depot. So this is the final audition. And here comes Barbara Streisand, 19, talented, hungry, and knocks it out of the park in the audition. Elliot Gould says that he saw elements of himself in her, that same inhibition he had from childhood. He will say she presents herself the way I feel about myself. He is struck. He thinks she is a knockout. So after Barbara's last audition, all the people listening say thank you. And Barbara apparently is very flummoxed. And she's right there. And she doesn't know what's going to happen next. So she will announce her phone number and say, would somebody please call me? My number is, you know, Brooklyn 78432 or whatever whatever it is. And Elliot will (laughs) remember her number. Furiously scribbling. No, he remembers it in his brain Mm -hmm. all the way and calls her that night. He remembers her number and calls her that night. That's how love works. That's how you know if somebody's into you. They don't do the stupid three-day rule. They call immediately. (laughs) Barbara will invite Elliot to see her sing, like at one of her upcoming gigs, but he declines. And he says, you are so good, I think you're going to be in the show. We'll see if we get to know one another then. Streisand is cast as Gould's character's secretary. Her name is Miss Marmelstein. And the part in the play is actually enlarged to give Barbara a bigger role and do her justice. That is how talented she is. The show is going to run 300 performances. Wow. Yeah. It's going to run from uh, 62 to 63, like 300 shows. But during this time, Elliot and Barbara, working together, fall in love. Elliot is going to move into that railroad apartment with Barbara. So now they're young lovers and making their dreams come true. And once the play closes in 1963, the two will get married. They marry September 13th, 1963. Oh, y'all. They honeymoon at the Beverly Hills Hotel And this is the picture I'm going to post on social media for them. Oh, God. It's one of the loveliest pictures I've ever seen of a couple in love. You should check it out. It's just gorgeous. Barbara's smiling with her teeth. You never see that. It is just such an infectious young lover joy pick. Yeah, unguarded. Okay. So kind of a neat thing here. When Elliot and Barbara marry, they're going to get a new apartment. This time in Central Park West that used to belong to Lauren's Hart of the Rogers and Hart musical (laughs) fame. Sure. His former place they move into. So they go from a $62 a month rent in the railroad apartment to $450 in rent in the Central Park West. It is a duplex. It has a terrace and not one, but two wood-burning fireplaces. Got it. Every New York listener right now is pulling out their hair. $450 a a month Central Park West. West. Yeah. Uh, Barbara will say it was fun to furnish that apartment. Again, leading into collecting (laughs) an antique. So take a deep breath. Hold on to your hats. Because the 1960s, they marry September. A month later in October, Barbara Streisand is meeting Judy Garland in that legendary performance of Happy Days Are Here Again. 
1964, it's Barbara in Funny Girl. And her star continues to rise and rise from there, and eventually it's all happening. Albums, a TV deal. Elliot is getting roles in feature films as well. Like, they are the it couple of the 60s. It's remarkable. They will have a son at the end of 1966, and their trajectory is just up, up, up. Even as far back as 1967, Barbara is introduced to the short story Yentl. She, there is not any not planning for her. Don't rain on my parade. Tell me I can't do it. I'm going to do it twice and let you take pictures. Just amazing. It doesn't often happen. Sometimes it happens for Broadway to movie conversions, Mm -hmm. but Barbara is cast to play the leading role in Funny Girl. She may or may not have had a brief romance with Omar Sharif during that time. There's a lot more that happens, but we're going to get to the day the couple decides that it's just not going to work. This is February 13th, 1969. They will announce their separation. Their marriage lasts as long as the decade does. But in a really amazing show of support here, here's just what I think is fascinating. Elliot Gould will accompany Barbara. They go to the Oscars together in April of 1969. We are for the only time in Oscar history when the envelope was opened and the winners are. There are two actresses that tie for best actress that year. Really? One of them, it's the only time you've had a double winner for an Oscar. It is the 1968 Oscars taking place in 69, where Barbara Streisand will win a best actress for Funny Girl, shared with Katherine Hepburn for her portrayal of Eleanor of Aquitaine in The Lion in Winter. Okay. Both good films. How does it all go so wrong between this young, talented, in-love couple? They're both pretty private about it. Elliot has likened their marriage to both a souffle and a bath of lava. So, (laughs) sounds like you're an astrology. Mm -hmm. Kind of all Mm -hmm. over the place. The picture he paints is of one Barbara putting her career above family life. And I mean, gosh, how did she take that lesson? (laughs) Right. Well, and Elliot, on the other hand, rebelling against the limits of it. So they're both kind of at cross purposes during this time. They stay separated for two years. Toward the end of 1969, Barbara will begin dating Pierre Trudeau. Canadian Prime Minister. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Pretty cool. (laughs) Elliot Gould will start a production company. But then again, so will Barbara. In short order, she's going to make first artist with Paul Newman and Sidney Poitier. Wow. Who Steve McQueen is going to join up to in no time at all. Like, Barbara Streisand is her own just multi-season rich treasure trove of a life. There's so many spider webs just all over. The couple files for divorce in July 1971 in Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic. Wait, so did they need a quickie divorce after a two-year separation? Like, Apparently. Then they're done. Yeah. Again, they're both really private about it. But each of them show each other so much love, and it's so evident in that relationship that they still have. They had a good life together. Uh, recently, Elliot was on CBS Sunday Morning, and he will reflect on his divorce from Barbara, saying that they just grew apart in different ways. This is a quote from him because Barbara's writing a book. So he will say, well, Barbara asked me at one point because she's still writing her book. 
She said, why did we grow apart? And I said, my question would be, how could we have grown apart? And the answer to that is we didn't grow together. And the reason for that is because she became more important than us. Then I also said to her, we did great. We made it very fast and nobody has what we have. There's you and me and our kid. And sometimes that's enough. I mean, it needs to be when that's the story, right? Yeah. Okay, so what happens after that? Wowza. Barbara Streisand has a legendary love life. I have another 50,000 words that I found (laughs) in my research. Maybe there's a future spiderwebs on Patreon about this once I can hunt it all down and factually talk about it. But her dating life, just from me to you, Barbara, impressive. (laughs) The names that have been attached to Barbara. This is according to Christopher Anderson in an unauthorized biography called Barbara the Way She Is. So take this with a grain of salt. I have not read it. I haven't gone down this train yet, but we'll throw it out. Names attached to Barbara. Prince Charles, Dodie Fayed, Andre Agassi, Bill Clinton. Warren Beatty, Ryan O'Neill, Steve McQueen, Chris Christopherson, Don Johnson, John Voight, Richard Gere, Omar Sharif, and Liam Neeson. All evidence leads us to believe that Barbara Streisand enjoyed her single life immensely. She also dated John Peters for the longest time. They had a production company in the 70s. They were together quite a bit. And he just recently got a trashy divorce or a trashy marriage, maybe to Pam Anderson. John Peters. Anyway. Different story, different day. Barbara's going to continue to enjoy her single life until remarrying in 1998 to actor James Brolin. And these two seem perfectly simpatico. Like they have a happy marriage. They wake up in the morning and stay in bed. And Barbara does all of her stock trading. It makes her feel like she's gambling before she gets out of bed. That's perfect. They're into each other's astrology signs. Like they're super... Married, sure, almost 25 years. Like, they're fine. A happy marriage came from that. Mm-hmm. Happy marriage as well <laughs> for Elliot Gould, I guess. He's going to get married to a lady named Jennifer Bogart. This is the daughter of Paul Bogart, who is a Hollywood director and producer, no relation to Humphrey. Okay. So you know how I'm fascinated by people who get married and divorce and then remarry the same person. Elliot Gould and Jennifer Bogart divorce not once and remarry, but divorce twice. They've been married three times. They've divorced twice and remarried. Yes. Remarried twice. Yes. They've walked down the aisle three times together. Three times together. Isn't that amazing? I mean, (laughs) sure. (laughs) Again, Barbara Streisand, Elliot Gould, kids that were young, talented, rose fast, their love fell fast. And I'm just going to say again, don't get Barbara Streisand's way. She made those dreams of getting the hell out of Brooklyn come true. Like, Ellie Gould, too. Like, they're both legends. Whatever trash cans they get, I think they're all pink and strewn about the Beverly Hills Hotel. Or maybe they're in her mall basement. Let's have a word about her private mall in her basement. Explain about this. My mind was blown when I learned about this. There's nothing in my heart or soul. There's not one cell of me that has any kind of feeling about this besides mad respect. I get it. She has a lot of stuff. And she's cultivated for years a place 
She has a lot of stuff. Costumes from every film she's been in and all those antiques. And what she has done in her mall basement is cultivate a place to put all of it. Some people may call it classy hoarding. But honestly, little shops where I could put all of my collections, I'm 100% in for this idea. If we had that kind of cash, we would definitely have a trashy mall basement for all my vintage handbags and all of your antique crockery. Maybe you could have a whole cast iron pan room. Can you, okay. The cast iron pan shop with a P-E, shoppy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We would call it iron for all seasons or something because we would have to season all of it. You can name it whatever you want because it's in your own damn basement. Because it's my mall basement. I mean, that's it. She puts a bench. She's like, I can do that. I can do whatever I want. I As we are in the process of moving, having a place to store all of my precious little collections, classy hoarding, mind you, I would do it in a heartbeat. 100% any day of the week. Start digging that backyard. We're, we're making a mall bunker. I'm just kidding. All right. I do have more on our mall. Maybe I'll cover that in the trashy single behavior spider webs. But I have to stop the story somewhere. Amazing talents, the both of them, Barbara Streisand and Elliot Gould, and the love they had. Both ended up with happy marriages. Glennon Doyle, too, ended up with a happy marriage. So we've gone from... Three trashy divorces to the land of happy marriage. (laughs) I love that story. I know you're a huge fan of Babs. I think everyone is. She is widely liked across all spectrums, Mm -hmm. much the way Tina Turner is, much the way Cher is. Mm -hmm. There are a few performers that young, old, black, white, gay, straight, whatever kind of divide you live on, you you know her. Yep. Yep. Talented. So talented. That's Barbara Streisand and Elliot Gould, the couple that everybody forgets was actually married for a hot minute back in the 1960s. All right. Yeah. Wow. So is that it for us for yet another week here at TDHQ2? I think it is. First Sunday episode we recorded in TDHQ2. We're still working out the sound. Yeah. We appreciate you hanging in as we- Gosh, so much. As we tunnel through uh, echoes. Y'all, thanks so much for tuning in and spending your time with us this week. Y'all are the best. Oh, and don't forget, we have some extra free episodes. At bit.ly slash trash candy, right? That's, That's it. the link. Yeah, bit.ly slash trash candy. Just the plug that into your browser. Queer versus the establishment is on there, as well as the Barbara Streisand tie-in with Pat Conroy and Jimmy Buffett. You're going to have some Henry VIII stuff up. A thing about Heaver Castle as well. Be sure to get those while you still can because they do rotate out and if you need more trash candy in the meantime you can always find us at at patreon.com slash trashy divorces lots of ways to support us over there for early ad free ups or bonus content through the week we'll be back to you on wednesday with more trashy royals we're going to the court of elizabeth the first this week so looking forward to that as our cat is trying to pound the door to get into the studio. Apparently our time is up for recording. That's all we got. All right. Until we talk again, y'all, keep your hands clean. And keep your hearts trashy. Big love to you. Bye. Bye. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacey and Alicia, 
with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at carbonmade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram and definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at trashydivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at trashydivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at patreon.com slash trashydivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear. Want to advertise with us? Reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information. And last but not least, come play with us on social media. I keep most of our Trashy Divorces Instagram hopping. Stacy and I share it up over on Facebook, including our Trashy Divorces podcast discussion group. Come join us over there and thanks again everybody for listening. Keep it trashy, y'all.